he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ today. We're glad that you have chosen to join us for this week's sermon of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. God's Word is full of timeless truths that are relevant to our lives today. Here's this week's message. Over the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time in the Minor Prophets. Uh, Minor Prophets, so named just for... uh, the shorter words that they had to share uh, within Scripture, but still have a big message. And of course, from one of those prophets from Joel, we get uh, the phrase, your sons and daughters will prophesy. It is a phrase that's repeated in the book of Acts, a a reminder that God's Holy Spirit wants to move upon the entire world. And one of the benefits of looking at the minor prophets is I think they are often overlooked voice, but a voice that I think still speaks for us today. And kind of studying and reviewing for this, I found that there's a few really important things I just want to note about their word and what they have to say. And one is they, they are constantly reminding us that we are a people called to speak the good news of God. And that that role is indeed for everybody and not just for whoever is designated at that time. That prophet or that preacher or that general superintendent. But we are all incorporated into the mission of sharing what God is doing in our life and sharing that with those around us. We are all a people equipped by the Holy Spirit to share God's good news. We are also a people called to live faithfully to God. That often in the prophets we find some words that are very harsh. Words that sometimes will will point a finger at just what they are doing that is wrong. But always with a call and an encouragement to live devoted to God. And so we are indeed called that our lives would be lived in surrender, in obedience, in faithfulness to our Lord. But also, what I find happening throughout these minor prophets, and we'll see this, is These prophets are constantly coming to terms with a God who they are learning is consistently forgiving, is consistently faithful, is again and again in ways that they are still trying to comprehend. He's he's always inviting us back into a, a relationship with Him. And so in the prophet Hosea, and there is so much I could have shared from the prophet Hosea, But from the prophet Hosea, we're going to start from uh, chapter 2, starting with verse 14. Uh, Therefore, I will now allure her, bring her into the wilderness, speak tenderly to her. From there, I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she shall respond as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. On that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband. No longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be mentioned by name no more. And I will make for you a covenant on that day with the wild animals, the birds of the air, and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I'll take for you my wife forever. I will take you for my wife in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will take you for my wife in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. I've added just a couple more verses I'd like to read. On that day I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. 
And I'll sow him for myself in the land. And I will have pity on Lo-Ruhamah. And I will say to Lo-Ami, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. I started with this verse. That first verse, verse 14, is, is a very kind of poetic. I love the sound of that. There's a part of me that thought maybe I should play a game. Maybe I should read that in the King James Version. You know, Therefore I will now allure her, bring her into the wilderness, speak tenderly to her. If I had read that in the King James Version and said, let's play a game. Is this Scripture or Shakespeare? <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think we you know, we might be a little bit split there. You know, there's this very idea where in, in this story, in this prophecy, the Lord is saying through the prophet, I have a very real interest in my people. In the people who I've called and who I've, who I've been with, the people of Israel, specifically in this story, but for us, all of God's people, I have a very huge desire to be in a relationship with and to bring them into salvation and hope. And this is what he wanted. So he says, I'm going to allure her, bring her into the wilderness. When Jen and I were dating, uh, at one point in time, she says to me, hey, I want, I want to show, we, we would go on walks all the time, she says, I want to show you the state park, I love that, I used to go there all the time as a kid, I want to show you the state park, we can have a picnic there, and I was like, great, let's do that, and so we went to go have a picnic, but we were poor college students, so we only had enough money for like a box of Pop-Tarts and root beer, and so we went, and we did that, and we had that wonderful picnic, and it was great, and it was wonderful, and I knew, when she showed me this wonderful ledge over the, over the rivers, I knew that oh, I will come back here uh, uh, when, when I knew I was going to marry her. I said, I know I'm going to bring her back. I don't think that day I knew I was bringing her back. But I knew when, I, when it was time to propose, I want to bring her back to that location. And so uh, uh, when uh, I had the ring, I had it in its, in its box, and I put it in my pocket, I had to allure her back into the wilderness. <laughs> I said, come on, Jen, let's go back to this place where we used to go before. And uh, it was great. And, and so I went back to the state park, and I had this ring in my pocket. But, of course, through climbing and, and, and wrestling and just, like, and goofing off, uh, that, that box had, like, indented in on itself. So when it was time to propose and say to her, hey, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, I get on my knee, and I pull the box out, and it's wedged in there, and I can't open I'm like... Ooh, just pulling, pulling, like banging it. Like, come on, open up. But I got to be careful because if I just like rip it off, the ring could go anywhere. So I'm like, oh, I'm wrestling and twisting. And I think Jen is standing there kind of like, oh, or do I laugh at this foolishness? Like, like what do we do here? Do I, do I get overwhelmed or do I laugh at this guy? But so here I finally, finally, I, I, I pry that thing open. And, and sure enough, the ring is there and, and proposed. But it's this, this wonderful kind of moment And so when I read this verse and I read what God is saying through Hosea to the people, he's saying, I have longed for and desired the relationship that we have had. The relationship that uh, I have always had when I have drawn near to you and you have followed. For when he talks about the wilderness, he's not just imagining like a nice beautiful walk, but is also remembering their time out of Egypt in that wilderness when they knew without doubt God is with us because they're following his sign, the cloud or the pillar of fire to help them get to the promised land. But they know, just like someone who is proposing to be married, there's a hope. We don't know what the future looks like, but it's going to be great because we're going to be together. 
And so there is this hope and there's an expectation. And God is saying, I want to show you that there is a great future for you with us together. And will you join me in this walk? That is part of the story of God, that he woos us to salvation, to his plan. That to me, the best picture of God is not a God that points down and says, well, you better, you oughta, but a God who says, won't you be faithful? Won't you walk alongside and let me show you the amazing things that I can do in your life? He beckons, he invites, he desires relationship. That is the very nature of who God is. Now, of course, there are stories of God and in the Old Testament and even in the prophets of doing things that don't seem too loving. In fact, every now and again, I run into somebody who wants to remind me of that. It's like they get tired of me talking about the love of God. Like, who gets tired of the love of God? But they want to remind me of God's judgment or something like that. Uh, I'll tell you who gets tired of reminders of love. Children who look at their parents kissing or saying I love you or something, like, oh, come on, give me a break. (laughs) They're like, oh, why are you doing that again? They roll their eyes like, oh, I can't believe that. And so I think sometimes we as children are like, oh, wait, Wait, don't we, can we remember the times when you guys fought? <laughs> and like, like, and it's just, it just, it's kind of weird that people would say that. But that is a part of the very nature and fabric of who God is. He is the one who loves. And even when we remember those passages, the moments of the past where it seems God isn't very loving, what Hosea and a lot of the minor prophets are coming to is again that real, realization. Our God is always forgiving. And even Hosea brings up one of those past moments when he says, I'm going to make the valley of Achor a door of hope. I I hope Achor is the right way to say that. I really don't know. But I hope the valley of Achor is, is a door of hope. This valley was a place where in previous history, they knew this valley as a place where they had been in combat. Oftentimes, the various Different armies would come down and they'd meet and they'd fight in that valley. And, and, there was, and they had been victorious over one army in this valley and they praised God for this. And God had said, I brought you the victory, but this victory is not for you. Do not take any spoils. You're not going to rob them. You're not going to steal from them. Don't do that. But then another army comes in and they start to fight. And they start to realize they're losing this fight. And they're like, what's going on? They keep gaining ground. We keep losing more people. This battle's not going the way we thought. God was with us in the last battle. Why isn't he with us in this battle? And so they seek out the prophets. They ask, why is God not with us? And God tells them, it's because there's sin in the camp. Because there is somebody who has taken, Achan, who has taken some of the plunder and he has hidden it. And he's buried it. And, uh, and God is turning his back on them because they were specifically disobedient. And all of this happens in the Valley of Achor. And perhaps you've heard that story before. I know I've heard that story before. Oftentimes, by pastors and evangelists who want to remind me, make sure there is nothing hidden, that there is no sin that you have not released back to God, or else there is no blessing is usually the way it was framed. And that is without a doubt a part of the remembrance of that story. This valley has become a symbol of, you better not be the person with sin in your life or else. 
This is, this is the story of remembering that, that wherever there is mistake, there is God's judgment and death is on the horizon. And when the prophet Hosea says, I want to woo you and come back to a place where we traveled together and this valley becomes a door of hope, becomes not a way of remembering how all the times we've messed up or all the times things weren't going the way they were supposed to go, but of the best times with our love. The prophet Hosea is saying, God wants to create a new picture, a new parameter by which we will understand this, a picture in which we remember not past faults, not sins buried deep down, but new hopes, new directions. What is God going to do in my life now? This is God's plan and His future for His people. And so He says, you're going to call me your husband. And not by any other name, not by the names of the other gods. And so today we say we know who our God is, the God of Father, uh, a God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God the Father of Jesus Christ. We recognize who our Lord is. And he says, I want you to know me for who I have been since the creation. This is him determining, saying to them, I want your eyes to be focused on the hope that you have and our hearts to be determined to move towards that hope. It's like, it is like in many ways, like first stepping into a wedding or a marriage. Okay, I don't know where this is going. I don't know what life's going to be like, but I go eyes wide open. Just let's see what happens on this journey. And with the heart and the commitment to say, yes, I'm going to do this with you no matter what. I think one of the, the joys I have is this week I'm going to be doing a wedding. I'm going to be uh, performing for one. You saw the couple who came uh, last Easter Sunday. And um, they came, uh, I think, just to say, okay, we met him for premarital counsel. Let's see what kind of pastor this guy really is. Does he have any, you know, what, what, what's this going to look like? But a great couple, and I look forward to this. But, and I asked them, I said to them, I said, do you want to do uh, the, the, the typical vows? Uh, I said, I have them written for you here and, and share those vows with them. The traditional vows? Or do you want to write your own? Because sometimes people want to write their own vows. And they said, oh, we'll do the traditional ones. And I said, that's fine. That's great. And uh, walked through how we would do that for the service. But uh, it, when God says to the people here, I'm going to make a covenant with you. He says, here's my vow. Here's what I promise for you. He says, I will make a covenant on that day with the wild animals, the birds of the air, with the creeping things on the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war of the land. First off, the words he used for who he's making this covenant with, who he's saying this divine I do towards, he's, he uses the very same language used at the beginning of creation. When it is described that God has created the world and he's created the inhabitants of the world, the words they use to describe the animals are the birds that are crawling on the ground. The, I'm sorry, the birds that are flying in the air and the creeping things on the ground and the fish in the sea. These words that he uses are the exact same words used in Genesis chapter 1. He's using, if you will, traditional vows of saying, my, my love, my covenant with you 
is with this entire world. It is not uh, just for that particular group. It is for everybody. And my heart goes out towards a world that is broken and fallen apart. I think oftentimes when uh, we fall in love, getting married, we know without a doubt, I'll do anything for that one. I'll die for the one I love. And when, when you have a child and you first hold that little baby, you're like, yep, my life is intertwined in this one. <laughs> no matter what, I'm taking care of this one. I will go through whatever dangers I have to go through. I am protecting. I am doing everything I can for this one whom I love. And God has a very interesting way of saying that. We say that because we know we live in a dangerous world. We know that uh, as much as we might provide a safe home, as much as we might provide uh, a safe environment and do everything we can to do that uh, in our neighborhoods and in our schools and, and in our country, but we also know that sometimes violence erupts in ways that we can't control. But we will, when that happens, be there to protect them. When God speaks about His covenant with His creation, He says this, I'm absolutely removing it from the world. I'm going to abolish the bow, abolish the sword, and all of war from the land. My, my protection is going to be all-encompassing. The entire world is going to be delivered and set free from this. And this is His promise. This is His outlook. This is part of the hope of traveling with God, is that He is going to remove, and there is a day indeed which we will find our security in that God has removed the need to secure ourselves. That will be a day. And so He says, I'm going to take you in as my own. That's His covenant. That's His answer, His prayer. And I love the wedding analogy. It's used again and again in the Prophets. It's a wonderful analogy of reminding us that God's plan for us and purpose with us is completely done out of a desire for who we are as His creatures, as those whom He loves. It is not out of just a sense of, of, of whatever God's will divorced from uh, His concern for us. It's not out of God's divine sense of this is how things ought to be. He has a sense of how things ought to be. But, it, but His purpose for us is out of a deep love for His creation. A deep desire that the very best that God can do for you, He desires to be with you. And whether that is going with you for the hard things now, or whether that is offering for you the very best that we are only beginning to hope and imagine for in the future, our, our Lord loves and cares for us. And so this chapter ends with him saying, the heavens are going to answer you. And the earth is going to answer to the heavens. The earth is going to answer for all that is wrong, for the sin that exists. And when he says they're going to answer for the grain, the wine, and the oil, yeah, anyone who's ever exploited so someone cannot get the basic sustenance, they are going to answer for it. And they're going to answer Jezreel. Now Jezreel is itself another unique location. In the Kings, 
and in the story of of how they came to power and how they came to be the people that they are. There's all kinds of recordings of what happened. And one of the recordings in the place of Jezreel is a recording of, of a king determining, I have to secure who we are as a people, and I'm going to do that. And I think God is going to bless and honor if we are victorious. And so he says, we are going to wipe out, absolutely destroy this other group of people. And so he does so. They're victorious, and he gives God credit for that. But earlier in Hosea in chapter 1, but also then mentioned here, Hosea calls it an absolute massacre. He said, God didn't want that at all. And Jezreel since then has been remembered as the place where God's people had absolutely wiped out another group of people. And... Hosea says here, they're going to answer Jezreel. They're going to answer for this. But also this is an opportunity where their name and their memory of that place gets to be re-remembered, just like the Valley of Achor. It gets to take on a new significance that Jezreel will no longer have to be known as the land of massacre, but can be known as the land of redemption. This Sunday is the day before, I think it's the one-year anniversary of a new federal holiday of Juneteenth. It is, it is the memorial day of a massacre when one group of people massacred another group of people in Oklahoma. And that massacre was done because they thought they had reason and right to be able to take that out on them. And I guarantee you in that time, there was all kinds of religious language that justified those kinds of things. And I would like to think that part of the hope of creating this day tomorrow, where um, that is a new federal holiday, that is not just a way of remembering something terrible that happened, a way of saying, oh man, we just got to remember this and, and, uh, and be ashamed and, and terrified of what had happened there. I mean, there's elements of that. But the hope is that by remembering there might be a new hope that indeed we can understand there is a time and there is a place and there is a hope and a desire for true reconciliation and for, for, for a means by which people who are... Who, who, initially were thought to be so vastly different, can indeed find a common humanity, a common faith, a, common, a commonality in one another, that there's a hope and a future to live towards out of remembering something terrible that had happened. And so God brings up to this people too something just like that terrible event in our history. For them... It's called Jezreel. And he says to them, to a people who have said, if this is how I'm known, if, the, if, if, if this is what we remember, is there hope? Is there future? If we were to think on and linger on this, does that get in the way of a hope and a future? And he says to them, I'm going to have pity on lo ruhamah and on and uh, lo, on me, I'm going to say, you are my people. I want to say something about those names. Those names were the children of Hosea. Those names are names that mean not compassionate, 
And they're a name that means not my people. And Hosea named his children this as a way of speaking to the people and saying, look, you haven't been living up to the way God wanted. Many ways because of that massacre. And so I've named my children what God thinks of you. I'm not going to be compassionate on you, and you're not my people. The, the word low is, is a word that basically means like un or non in the English language. It's a prefix that creates a negative. Like if we say, uh, you know, I'm unsure or something like that, or something is non-compliant or whatever. You know, it, it, it's a prefix that means it is the opposite of whatever the word is afterwards. And so he named his children that. Can you imagine that? Like, we, get, we give celebrities in Hollywood a hard time for what they name their children. <laughs> but can you imagine naming your child not love or something like that? Like, we, we have, uh, Jen, Jen and I, when we were in Kansas City, went to seminary, we, there was a seminary couple there, they named their child Grace. That's a beautiful name, a wonderful name. I've known other children who are named Grace. Can you imagine naming your child not Grace? <laughs> like, that'd be terrible. Every time, I really want people to know there's times when there isn't grace. So I'm naming my child not grace. Or um, we, there's, um, so last week Amanda was supposed to come and preach. I, I planned this a couple weeks ago. Her daughter, Alethea, fell off a horse and broke her arm and had surgery. Uh, and, and she told me this, uh, that this happened just a couple days before she was supposed to preach. And she said, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. So with three days' notice, uh, I, uh, I got Zahira to come in last week. And so thank you for welcoming her. She, she uh, is, is new to ministry and only had three days to prepare to get ready for, uh, for Sunday. But um, uh, Aletheia, her da- the, uh, their daughter, it's the Greek word for truth. It's a beautiful name. Uh, a, 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 wonder, a wonderful word and a beautiful name. Well, that's great. Can you imagine if she had named her daughter untruth? <laughs> Lies? Like, you'd be like, what, what are you doing? Uh, Hosea had named his children for what he understood God's opinion to be about the people because of their unfaithfulness. And what God says through Hosea in chapter 2 is this, I will have pity I will have Ruhamah on low Ruhamah. I will have compassion on the ones I shouldn't have compassion on. I will say to the one who's not my people, you are my people. I will say to those who have no reason of being a part of the people, family of God, you have a place and a purpose. That what Hosea is saying to his people is it doesn't matter if, the, if your thought about your life is, oh man, I've got some sins buried underneath the camp. I've got some things I'm keeping hidden. You don't know what I've done. God is saying, I want you to know there's forgiveness for that. If there's someone saying, man, I, I have messed up and I, I, I'm just used to just recognize this is who I am. This is my name now. I am known for ways I've messed up. God says, I see you for so much more than the mistakes of your past. We do that. We remember people by things they've said or things they've done, don't we? Whether it was nicknames received at various times in life or just ways in which they've messed up. Ways in which uh, they uh, couldn't handle the assignment that was given to them. The, The one thing you had told them to do. When I was... Uh, in college, in the summertime, I worked grounds crew at a cemetery. I think I've told this story before. And I, uh, but uh, uh, 
oftentimes we were on a rotation my first summer of weed whacking or mowing. You get on the riding lawnmower. Now, the first two weeks I was there, I was brand new, and he wanted to see if I'd actually stay, stick it out. So he put me on the weed whacker the whole time, 10 hours a day, two weeks. That was terrible. <laughs> You'd go home. I touched the steering wheel on the car, and all the nerves on my fingertips would go, bzzz, <laughs> and then I'd be like, oh, it, it was terrible. But he got us in a rotation, so we wouldn't have to do that. And so sometimes then I got to ride on the, lo- uh, the riding lawnmower, and that was great. But then something unfortunate happened for my coworker. He was on the riding lawnmower. He was in an area that the gra- it had been raining, so the grass had grown. But the day before, there had been a burial, and they had laid out the sod over over the place, and he did not see where the sod began and the rest of the, the grassy area, uh, uh, that, that line. And so he went right over the sod and kicked up dirt everywhere as he mowed over it. Now, our foreman was not a gracious person. Not at all. When I saw that, I went, oh, that was a big dirt cloud there. And then I heard from a different lot way over there, all the curse words you can imagine. Uh, because what he wanted, now he was someone, he, he wanted to set things up, he wanted to get things right, but he also knew they could be coming back any day. Like this is the day after. You could get family coming and the last thing they want to see is a torn up plot. And so he uh, just laid into that person. That person did not ride that lawnmower again the rest of the summer. I did. <laughs> Which means he was on the weed whacker the whole summer. So, so, so uh, like, like I, I benefited from that, that terrible thing. But it would have been something I was willing to share. But nonetheless, he was known that entire summer as the guy who can't be trusted on a riding lawnmower. That's how he was known. It's who he was. You are just that mistake. You are just that flaw. And I think what God says to Hosea and to his people that, he, that uh, Hosea has just been giving a hard time to. He says, hey, I'm naming my children after what God ought to do. God says, I'm going to have pity on those who think they don't deserve pity or compassion. I'm going to welcome into the family those who think they don't deserve to be a part of the family. Anytime we think that we might be outside God's grace, that we don't deserve God's grace. God surprises us and says, I know who you are, and I remember you. And I remember when you have, those times when you have searched me out earnestly. And I remember when we had a relationship. And he says the enthusiasm of that faith, the commitments made, I remember and I long for that and I woo you back to that. I invite you back to receive that grace and to be a part of the hope and future I still have for you because you don't have to be defined by the previous sins that have been buried and stuck in the camp. No, that valley's redefined and it will now become a door of hope because I say to you, I am still your God. You are still my people and I will still have compassion on who you are. And so he lures us. He says, come on back. The Pop-Tarts and root beer are great. <laughs> uh, actually, there was a part of me that had thought maybe I would have those out today, but then we had, all the, then we had a strawberry shortcake. So, uh, but uh, this is the grace of our Lord for us, for his people, who says it does not matter where you've been or what you've done. My desire, my hope is to invite you to trust where God is leading and to walk with him and be surprised by hope. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for today. 
Thank you so much for um, the words of the prophet that remind us that we can continually be surprised at the God who's always reaching out. The God who says, I love you, you have a place, you have a purpose. The God who invites us to be fellow prophets in this word, to share this grace with a world around us that says, God's got a better plan for you. God loves and sees you for who you are, not for the determinations of the past, but where you're going. Heavenly Father, be with us. Help us indeed to see ourselves and to see one another with the same eyes that you do. Grant us that grace and help us to see you are a God who is ever close, desiring indeed a relationship with each and every one. Pray this in Jesus' name. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you abundantly as you serve him today.